Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Jonathan Dysinger. He's the owner and CEO of Farmer's Friend. The website is also farmersfriend.com. So we're going to talk about uh, what he does there on his farm and um, all other issues. So Jonathan, thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. If you would tell me about your background and how you got into farming in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, I guess it's a pretty long story. I'll try to make it short, but I actually was born in, in Kenya. My parents were missionaries there for six years. And then when they moved back, well, they were both teachers, both my parents were teachers. So they were, they were teaching out of school in Kenya and uh, they came back to the States like a year after I was born and, and my dad finished his master's degree and they moved to Tennessee, which is where um, my grandpa was born and raised and had just bought a, a big farm here in Tennessee, a couple hundred acres. And they were like trying to get all their kids to come. And my parents were like, never, we're not, we're not moving out to the, you know, sticks in Tennessee, but it just kind of, you know, things fell into place and the Lord led for them to move here. My dad got a job teaching at a, at a church school and um, did that for a couple of years, but really wasn't, it wasn't the life that he wanted to live. Um, Just a really busy, you know, leaving early in the morning and coming back late at night and not spending, not being able to spend time with the family like he wanted to. And so he quit the teaching job and started farming at the time. Then we had built a house on my grandparents farm and and they started farming. Now I was like at this point six years old. So I don't really remember anything before farming. So we started with a basically exclusively organic strawberries and it was a, a you pick strawberry farm. And so it it grew from that, but we realized pretty early on that focusing ex- exclusively on one big cash crop is not very smart because when you have a crop failure kind of messes up your your entire year. Um, oh, did you guys have any crop failures with the strawberries? Yeah, definitely. So there's, you know, there's so many issues that can go wrong with strawberries. It's a very kind of delicate crop. You know, rain is one of the big things. If you get too much rain, it can just destroy your crop. And so we had some years where rain was an issue. Also in the spring, um, you can deal with frost. So the strawberry plants, you, know, you plant them in the fall. We would always plant them out in the field around like end of September, 1st of October. And then they overwinter and they're very frost hardy, but in the spring they'll start growing and then they'll start putting out buds, you know, preparing to fruit up. And they always do that before, you know, your last frost. And so we have to do frost protection and there's a lot of challenges with that. And if you make one mistake and those buds freeze, you know, it, it can destroy your crop or at least the first, you know, few weeks of your crop until more buds come on but so it's it is a it is a a challenging crop and we were trying to do it all organically so there's other issues with that but pretty quickly we started expanding into other things primarily um, vegetable production and then after a couple years we started a a csa 
which was basically a subscription service. You know, uh, we had up to, at one point, I think 200 um, customers that had a, a weekly subscription oh, produce. A quick, if um, I can ask you about the CSA yeah. a little bit, what, what was that like starting? What were some of the challenges there? Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest challenge with that is you're kind of committing to hundreds of families that you're going to provide them with a box of produce every week for, you know, like eight months straight or, you know, we ended up kind of splitting it into two seasons. So we do like six months of kind of a summer CSA and then we actually were growing all year round. So we do a six month kind of fall, winter, spring CSA as well. So um, it's, you know, just the, the planning ahead and making sure that you have your, your crop progressions planned out to where you're actually going to have produce. So, um, you know, in the, in the early years, there was definitely some weeks where we had to, you know, say, Hey, we're going to have to refund some boxes because we just don't have the produce. So it's, it's a challenging, um, it's a challenging model, but it works great for a lot of farms because basically you're, you're locking in revenue, um, and you, you know how to plan, um, ahead of time. So it, it can be beneficial. And, and, and my parents still do a CSA model, um, for a large part of their revenue, although they're leaning more on other things at this point. But um, that's kind of how the the farm grew. And so okay. obviously, you know, I was very involved in the farm. We My parents homeschooled us, so we weren't like going off to school during the day. So we'd get our school done and, you know, the f- morning and then and then be out working on the farm or just it kind of depended on the the needs of the farm. But um I, I loved it. I mean, I think it was the best thing that that happened because I would, mm. I definitely was the type that struggled in school and, and would not have thrived under a, a traditional education model. And so yeah. to be able to just, you know, get some energy out on the farm and be able to express your creativity. And um, that was, that was super helpful for me. So, so what, um, what does it look like today? The full fledged version, are you running it and, I mean, yeah, you're now running this concern. So what does it look like right now? Yeah. So, I mean, basically what happened is I became more and more involved on the farm, but I, I was very naturally inclined more towards just uh, mechanical things and innovation. And so I was always finding areas on the farm where I could take a difficult, challenging task and develop some sort of a system or product to do it better and, and more easily. And so I learned to weld when I was like 12 years old and just, you know, was making implements for the tractor and all that kind of stuff. And so when I was um, 18, I had developed a a machine for harvesting leaf lettuce. So baby lettuce, basically everybody on our scale was harvesting like on their hands and knees with a a knife, you know, or like a paring knife or scissors. Um, There was no mechanical equipment that could do it less than $10,000. And so I developed this machine that was powered by a little cordless drill and you could harvest a couple hundred pounds of greens an hour with it. And that's so really I, cool that you made those things. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So that, that's what started farmer's friend was the greens harvester. I showed it to some, some big figures, one of them being Elliot Coleman, who's a big farmer up in Maine. And he was a tool advisor for Johnny selected seeds also in Maine and, and they wanted to sell the product. And so I started, you know, kind of, split off from the farm at that point and started uh, farmer's friend. And in 2012, we started manufacturing the, the greens harvesters. So that's, that's how it started. And then from there, farmer's friend has just grown into a company that our mission is to um, support 
farms with um, supplies and tools, innovative tools to be able to do their job more efficiently and more profitably. Yeah, that's really cool. That's an interesting niche. Yeah, Um, yeah, it definitely is kind of a niche market. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. Yeah, what are some of the other um, products that you've created? Like, have you done anything for greenhouses, for temperature regulation? Or like, what, what are some of your most interesting products in your mind? Yeah, so uh, the the Greens Harvester was definitely our flagship product, started the company. And then a couple years into that, of course, I had no background in manufacturing or anything. I just had a, a passion for for learning and and um, and for entrepreneurship. And so I just got in there and figured it out. We struggled for the first couple of years significantly with our manufacturing processes. But a couple of years in, we started branching out into other things. And uh, one of the things I saw had a lot of potential was the high tunnel space. Um, when you're out on a farm trying to have a consistent production, you need to have control over the environment. And everybody likes to joke about, you know, how when you're farming, you're at the mercy of mother nature, which I mean, it's totally true. But if you can have covered space, you then can, you know, control your environment a little bit more. And even if it's downpouring outside, you could still be in inside of a greenhouse, preparing beds and getting ready to plant. Not to mention, you know, the season extension aspects of it being able to grow more in the shoulder months and um, stuff like that. So it just gives you more control. I saw a lot of people were going into like DIY kind of structures, buying pipes and bending them themselves. And so what what we decided, this was like in 2015, our goal was to come up with a really affordable and simple high tunnel structure off of the, the model of a caterpillar tunnel, which is basically just bows, plastic over top, and you hold the plastic down with rope. And so in 2016, we launched our caterpillar tunnels. They were $1,250 for a 100 foot long, 14 foot wide tunnel. So wow, less than, that's an excellent price. Yeah, wow. less than a dollar, less than a dollar a square foot. Um, we were able to sell them for to customers for less than they could go buy all the components at hardware stores and stuff like that and and make it themselves. And we even have a, had a deal where like you buy two of them and we'll give you free shipping. And so we just started selling them like crazy. You know, people buying two tunnels, 2,500 bucks, you have 2,800 square feet of covered space. And, uh, and it was really helping people to be more profitable. We had customers telling us, look, I buy this thing. I put it up, I plant it full of head lettuce and I pay for the tunnel in the first crop and I get four crops in a season, you know? So the first three months they've paid for the structure. And then the next nine months of that one season is just profit out of that one tunnel. Um, and again, back to the control aspect, they have control over. Hey, Jonathan, I can't hear you for a second. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just cut out for uh, maybe five seconds. You're saying they have control over. Could you repeat that? Yeah. So, you know, like, like I said, if, if you tell a restaurant, you need 500 heads of lettuce or they're, they're wanting to get 500 heads of lettuce in eight weeks, you know, with control over that tunnel and on the environment in that tunnel, you can plant exactly when you know you need to plant to get your, 
to, to maturity at that date that you need to get to maturity. And, and so it was just helping people become more profitable. So that has actually become, we've done a lot of other things and I, we don't have time to get into everything that we've done, but those high tunnel structures, the Caterpillar tunnels have definitely taken the business to the next level. Um, we've sold yeah, I got a, a thousands quick question and there thousands. About them. Yeah. That's awesome. I saw one recently that the farmer had a high tunnel that was big enough where they could drive a tractor down it. Yeah. So they, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys do that? Yeah. Is that a recommended thing? So the the structures that we're selling are are smaller. So the widest structure that we do is 16 feet wide, and um, you could you can drive a small tractor through it. I've definitely done it before, um, but they're not really designed for that. They're more designed for people that are doing um, you know working with hand tools or no till method is becoming more and more popular. So you're not really needing to get in there and doing you know tilling with a tractor. Um, it's just basic hand tools. Have you made um, any machinery that's specifically high tunnel to make it more efficient to farm in there? We have not. I, I mean, we we sell supplies like you know row covers and stuff like that, which help people to be able to get the crops going earlier in the spring or go later in the fall for frost protection. Um, but we haven't done anything as far as like automation with ventilation and stuff like that. Um, we are actively working on growing our whole product line around um, high tunnels and greenhouses. And so in the next uh, year, there's definitely going to be more stuff coming out on that. Okay. So what are, yeah, what are some of the other things that you've invented that have been really useful for farmers? One of the things we did fairly early on with the, with the greens harvester was we built a, a little stand. We call it the quick stand that allows people to take that greens harvester and quickly mount it up to a, a stationary fixture on a table. And the whole point with that was to be able to harvest microgreens. Uh, microgreens were kind of coming on as this new um, big push. I mean, maybe they've been a big thing in the past. I don't know, but there was definitely this push towards, you know, indoor growing of microgreens and they're very profitable. And so we thought, well, we already have a tool that's designed for harvesting, but it's designed for like taking out into the field and harvesting on a bed of greens that are growing in soil. But if we mount it on a table to, you know, give it some height adjustment and you can just slide your trays underneath and it'll harvest it. It worked great. We've, we've sold a lot of those and that's allowed people who want to get into microgreens, but maybe bought the harvester for doing leaf lettuce out in the field. They're able to then, you know, use the tool for much more efficiently harvesting microgreens and again, with the goal of just, you know, helping farmers to be more profitable. I mean, farming is, is hard work. And so if you're going to go to all that hard work um, and you're bringing so much value to your local community, uh, you know, we want farmers to be as profitable as possible. Yeah. Um, you said that you were able to grow year round. How hard is it to grow a little bit more than the typical season? And then is it a lot harder to go year round? Like, What are some of the channels? <laughs> Well, so, I mean, this is, yeah, this is a huge question that, that a lot of people ask, but, you know, just don't understand the, the aspects of or the dynamics of growing year round or growing in the, in the shoulder seasons, meaning like later into the fall and, and early, early spring. Um, so the reality is like, you're not growing, um, you're not growing tomatoes, you're not growing okra, you know, those are crops that the this the minute the temperature drops below 32 degrees they're just dead but you're growing things like brassicas and spinach 
and lettuce is you know lettuce is a cool weather crop and as long as you don't let it freeze too solid it'll it, it does good in the winter you know these are crops that that can be out in the field and and freeze solid and then thaw out the next day and and still be fine you know we did a lot of like winter carrots so we'd plant carrots in the summer like july august let them get mostly like all the way to maturity before the days got really cold and uh, shorter and then we would leave them in the ground all winter long and just be harvesting them as our season progressed and as, as we needed them. And so cool. you, you, there's just a lot of things like, you know, you're, you're not growing yellow squash and, and stuff like that. You're growing crops that, that do well in colder, that are, are cool weather crops. And, and it's really not that difficult. You know, you just have to, you know, there's some resources out there. Like Elliot Coleman was a huge um, mentor to us through his books in those earlier years. And, you know, he's growing year round up in Northern Maine. And so if he could do it up there, yeah. then we knew wow. that we could do it. And so, you know, he has winter harvest manual and, and other books that he's written that really go into a lot more detail about growing year round. Well, what if you live in a warm climate, let's say like, you know, central Texas and maybe the heat is a problem, you know, a lot of the year and then the winter could be a little bit of a problem, but you have, you know, maybe yeah. more extreme issues. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of challenges growing in certain crops in really hot climates. You know, again, it's like, there's, there's a crop that's, there's something that's going to grow well in just about any, any climate. But so for instance, in a, in a really hot climate, you know, you may have to use tools like um, shade cloth. We sell shade cloth. So if you're growing in a high tunnel structure, um, you can put like a 50% shade cloth over top of that tunnel and, it's going to reduce the temperature significantly. You can also use the like intermittent misting or overhead irrigation. So if you're trying to get like lettuce, for instance, to grow through the summer in a really hot climate, if you turn on some overhead irrigation every 15 minutes for just, you know, 30 seconds or something, that'll just help to keep a little bit of moisture on the crop and keep it cooler. And there's just a lot of different techniques you can use, but every, every environment does have its challenges for sure. There's no cookie cutter method to to growing successfully. So what is the, uh, I don't know, what projects are you working on now? Are you just looking for more ways to help farmers, you know, farm faster or farm easier or, you know, like who's your target audience? Yeah. I mean, our, our target, like our main audience is still um, market farmers. It, it's commercial growers, people are, who are growing, um, for their communities and are, and are doing this as a living, but we also, are very desirous of in the future uh, branching into more of the, the homesteader home gardener, backyard gardener uh, market, because, you know, ultimately our goal is to have like, as a company, our goal is to support the growth of a more stable food economy where local communities and families are providing for more of their, their sustenance. And so yeah, supporting farms is great, but ultimately it would be amazing if if every household has their own ability to grow produce and and uh, support themselves through you know healthy food. And so mm. um, we definitely want to to branch out into that more, being focused on the small scale model. A lot of our a lot of our products and a lot of our ideas definitely are more suited towards that home gardener, homesteader. Um, and so it probably like what it looks like for us is just 
shifting a little bit of our marketing models, shifting, you know, maybe rather than selling 500 foot rolls of a product, you're selling, you know, 50 foot rolls and just stuff like that. One of the things that, you know, again, back to our goal of just helping people to be able to spend less time on just non-value added work that on a farm just costs you a ton of money. We, we've been working on a on a product that we call quick plant fabric. So it's ground cover, which is something that a lot of people use for, for landscaping and for, for farming, but it comes to you in a roll that, that doesn't have any holes in it. And it's difficult to, to burn those holes in a consistent, clean way with a, with a nice template or pattern. So we've, we've been building a machine that we're going to be able to sell the product with, with the holes already in it. So we can, you know, if you come to us and say, Hey, I want to grow these different crops, you know, I want to grow peppers, I want to grow tomatoes. I want to grow whatever. You could go on our website, select the crops that you're going to grow, and we're going to tell you we're going to give you a a fabric pattern that's going to be ideal for that crop. And you can purchase, you know, any anywhere from 25 feet to a thousand feet. And we run it through our machine, which burns the holes in the fabric in the pattern that that you've selected, and and we ship it to you. And you could just roll it out, use use uh, staples, um, anchoring staples to hold it down to the ground. And plant your crops right into it. And what this does is it it dramatically reduces your weed pressure. So you're only having weeds growing up in this you know small hole around where you've planted, which which just cuts down all of that that work of of weeding. So if you're a commercial grower, you don't want to spend time weeding because that's not profitable. If you're a home gardener or a homesteader, you don't have time to weed because you know you may have a full time job and you come home in the evening and weeding is the last thing you want to do. And so we're focusing on those things where we can where we can improve and, and hopefully eliminate a lot of the the drudgery and the non-value added aspects of of farming and gardening. Yeah. No, I was imagining um a bed with X number of plants in it and then weeds growing in there. And I wonder if like a better um layout would be um I don't know, if you were able to have let's say cones that came up that were filled with dirt. So you can get, you know, let's say 24 inches high of dirt, but it would be in a cone. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't spread out all over the place and therefore be harder for weeds to get there. There's a lot yeah. more of the dirt would be vertical under the plant instead of horizontal around it. Right. Yeah. No, that, I mean, the thing is there's a lot of like concepts and, and unique stuff that can be done and implemented on more of a, you know, a small scale. Like a, if you're just doing a backyard garden where you have, you know, hundred square feet or something, that might be realistic. Whereas on a commercial farm, you know, even if something costs you, um, you know, 75 cents a plant or whatever, you multiply that times 5,000 plants and it becomes very expensive. So there's, yeah, there's, there is a lot of, I mean, there's so much room for innovation, honestly, like agriculture on, on a small scale, agriculture has, has been kind of stuck back in, you know, the 19th century, 20th century, you know, and so what we're trying to do is really bring a lot of the more 21st century technology. We have some an exciting project that we're working on with automation, specifically for watering automation, where you'll have the ability to just, you know, control it through through technology and, and automation. You know, what do you see are some of the top issues that um, you know, your your audience faces right now? Even if you haven't figured out how to make a product for it, like what are some of the biggest issues? That's a that's a really good question. And to be honest, I, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, one of the things that I've been focused on more this year than in the past years, just because of the, 
kind of the growth growth and life cycle of the business. But anyways, this year I'm really focused more on trying to get out and and visit customers and try to understand what the needs are. And I feel like every time I visit a farm, their needs are a little bit different. You know, one one guy I talked to down in Alabama is like, man, I really need this machine for sifting the flowers out of my okra when I pick like, you know, hundreds of pounds of okra. And I'm like, wow, that's a very like niche thing. But for him, when I asked him like, what's your problem? That's what he, you know, is there something I can, a product I could create that would solve a problem for you? That was what he comes back to me at. And I'm like, there's probably like nobody else that is growing and selling enough okra for that to be like something they're going to be willing to spend money on. And so it's just, you know, like we've talked about already in this conversation, whether it's your climate's different or your clientele's different, everybody faces different challenges. Well, what about on um, a high tunnel? Like you said, you had ones that were cheap, that were like a hundred feet long, 16 feet wide. Mm-hmm. Um, what about somehow overlaying a water collection device on top of it? That's not heavy, you know, cause that's a big footprint. I mean, yeah. if you're able to collect water from a surface like that, if it's tilted, you know, so that not a ton yeah. of weight comes onto it. I mean, that could be a lot to reduce water inputs. Yeah, for sure. And that's something I have not experimented with personally. But again, I visited a farm a couple months ago that had water collection on. They, they had got some grant funding through through the state. It was like a research project. And they had put water collection systems on two of their high tunnels. Uh, yeah, they were harv- they were collecting thousands and thousands of gallons of water off of their tunnels, and it worked well. But you know, they this, the project had kind of fallen apart. Yeah, have you ever dealt with uh, wipeenies? You know, when people do like a, a below ground greenhouse that's almost level with the ground, the top of it. Yeah, I've I've seen that. I've never done anything with that. I mean, I think that is something where, like, if you lived in like <laughs> you know Maine or like northern like Montana or something, and you're just in this ridiculously cold climate where you want to be able to grow stuff year round. Those are things that could be really beneficial for like a homestead or, or, you know, a, a gardening enthusiast. I've never seen anybody do that, like on a commercial scale. Um, but, but it is a really cool concept, kind of a geothermal concept there. Uh, any other commonalities you see in the farms you visit, you know, is space the biggest problem or is the amount of labor the biggest problem or enough inputs? Like, how would you characterize generally? I know everyone's different, but yeah. you know, what are what are things that seem to affect a lot of people that you deal with, even if it's slightly tweaked for each? Yeah. Well, I would say I I think that a lot of people struggle with the the marketing aspects of farming, which is kind of interesting. It's like to be honest, I've seen some of the most like financially successful farms that I've been on were probably farms that I would say were like you know, on the, on the lower end of what I would say it would be like a exceptional farmer. Like they're not the most exceptional farmer, but man, they're doing crazy sales numbers because they're really good at marketing. And then I've also been on like incredibly amazing farms where that somebody has just years of experience and they grow and their farm looks incredible, but their sales numbers are not great just because they're not good at that marketing and sales aspect of it. I think a lot of farms struggle with that. And I'm not sure how, to to resolve that but it is it is something i've been seeing is you know a lot of people get into farming because they're just you know they they want to do something different that they feel like brings more value to you know their life or their community and all of that but when it really comes down to it farming is is a business just like just like running any other kind of business and so you know you have to be very in tune with 
your financial position and your marketing and all of that. And I think that's the biggest issue that I see a lot of people struggle with. Uh, you know, that's to make a, you have to make a customer harvester, you know, drill powered one. For yeah. 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 Uh, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, obviously there, there's the growing problems and, and that's where every location and every farmer deals with different challenges. I mean, obviously there's a lot of similarities, but everyone's different, but I'd say the, the probably the most universal is like, you know, trying to figure out how to help farmers uh, be more successful with their the business aspects of their farm and their marketing. Who do you see? I'm not sure if you can still hear me, but I lost you. It broke up there for a second. Oh, use all the traditional fertilizer. Oh, sure. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. I lost you right after you sure. said, who do you see or something? No problem. Uh, who do you see as being in a more precarious position? You know, the, uh, the regenerative agriculture, uh, the no-till farmers or the ones that use all traditional inputs, fertilizer, pesticides, et cetera? Um, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess it depends on what you mean by like precarious position. Like I, I think that from a, a model, like the standpoint of the model of the, the processes, the regenerative model is way more, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just more secure. It's definitely a better model for, for growing volumes of produce and, and doing it in a way that doesn't negatively impact the environment and the climate around us. Like, do I think that large scale commercial like farming is, is in a precarious position where it's going to like, you know, go away in the next, you know, a hundred years, like probably not. Um, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to try to, predict anything but i just i hope i mean and our goal is that we see more and more people seeing the value in small scale regenerative sustainable models of of farming and and that's just our mission you know our 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 actual mission statement of the company is to educate inspire and equip growers to change the world through regenerative agriculture and so um you know we are we want to get more into educational content. Um, the inspirational, I don't know if you've been on our YouTube channel, but we have a farmer's friend YouTube channel and we've done dozens of like really high quality cinematic. We have a whole like uh, videography team that does content, which is like inspirational. The goal is inspirational content to just tell the story of small scale growers. So we've traveled all over Europe and visited customers and, and all over the U S and, just told those stories of the the farmers. And, you know, it's not like a marketing ploy for us. We're not pitching our product. We're just going. And, but, it, but it could be a marketing ploy for them. If you come yeah, get yeah. the material for you and then do a little video for them to promote their stuff, that would help exactly. them marketing-wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the where we give them the content, they're able to use it as marketing for their farm for sure. But, you know, our goal is just to, in like five to 10 minutes, make this really high quality content where, you know, hundreds of thousands. I mean, we've had, we've had millions of views on those on those videos. People come along and watch that and get inspired about the whole model of regenerative agriculture. And uh, and we've seen it. We've had customers that have come and said, "Man, I watched your one of your first videos, you know, two and a half years ago, and that inspired me, and was what propelled me to to go into full time farming." And so yeah, that's that's, cool. that's what we're all about. I don't know 
you know, what the future of agriculture is. But I know that what I've seen is that regenerative agriculture, where you're focused on more of a community-based model, you're providing food for your, for your local communities. Like it's just far and above like a superior model. I don't think big ag is going away, but I do think we are seeing more and more of a shift of, you know, pop culture, realizing the, the negatives of, you know, big ag and just big everything and like hey let's let's go back to the the smaller simpler models of life in general um, yeah um last question so you know one of the podcasts that this is for is a surviving hard times podcast so if someone's new and they want to start growing stuff at home even if they have a closet to grow it in something what recommendations would you give them so they avoid a lot of the mishaps that new farmers would would run into I know every situation is different, but is there things that are easily grown that you see that people could start with or, you know, if they have a little baby high tunnel, is that the best way? Or, you know, what are some of the, what's some advice you give people that are starting out? Well, one of the easiest things to grow is actually microgreens. So, you know, you can get on Amazon or anywhere else and buy, you know, some simple trays and uh, fill them up with potting mix and throw some some microgreen seed on top and you keep it moist and give it some light and you know in 10 days you're going to have depending on the crop that you grow but you're going to have microgreens that you can harvest and eat and make salads with and stuff like that and that's that's an amazing crop because you can do that on your windowsill you can do it if you have a greenhouse you can definitely do it in a greenhouse i mean you could do it in your garage with grow lights but you're getting you know healthy veggies that are that are grown in a natural environment and and uh, that's a great way to to start you know growing some some veggies you know at my house like me and my wife have you know um, we're working on building out we just moved um, last year or year before last and we're working out building our kind of our homestead and and we're doing some raised beds you know again on a small scale you can justify some of those more costly ways of growing but man, for just a kind of a kitchen garden, it's a great way. Just use some timbers, build it up, you know, 18 inches or whatever, fill it up with soil. You don't even have to have amazing soil. We live on top of basically a chert hilltop, which is just red dirt basically. So it would be very difficult for us to grow in the, in the soil there. And, you know, things like head lettuce, you know, spinach, um, arugula is a favorite of mine, you know, in the summer you can do things like, uh, green beans and can them and, um, growing potatoes and um, preserving and obviously like chickens are an easy way to have some sort of input that you know that's providing you food um, we have I think we got about 15 laying hens and that provides us like way more eggs than we than we eat anywhere close and so you know just there's a lot of little things that don't take a ton of financial investment but you can get started and, and start providing for some of your own produce needs well, that's fantastic, Jonathan. So people can go to YouTube and look up Farmer's Friend. They can go to the yeah. website and go to farmersfriend.com. Any other ways they can contact you? So we put quite a bit on our on our Instagram and our Facebook account. So Farmer's Friend LLC on Instagram and Farmer's Friend on Facebook. But yeah, you got the website right, our YouTube channel. You can go on and watch those inspirational videos and uh, check out more about our, our product line on our website. Very good. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast i appreciate it you're welcome thanks for inviting me it was a enjoyable conversation you've been listening to the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.